Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Today I'm going to read scripture from Philippians 1, 12 through 18. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I will rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. This is the word of God. Hi, you guys can grab a seat. We're going to jump into God's Word. If you got your Bibles, you might look at Philippians 1, your device, if you want to look there. Macy, thank you for reading for us. We are in this series called Road to Joy, looking at the book of Philippians, and I want to start off with a story. I love to teach my kids how to drive. I know that may sound crazy. It makes you a little bit nervous sometimes, parents. Uh, but it's always fun to teach your kids how to drive and torment them a little bit with uh, all the mistakes and all the things they do. I've got this conviction that every kid needs to learn how to drive a stick shift. Can I get an amen from any of you out there? So uh, students, how many of you can drive a stick shift? You're learning. So you're in, the, you're in the throes of pain right now. You know all about this. Well, one of the things that, hap- that, that I love about teaching kids how to drive a stick shift is you've got, to, uh, you've got to continue to push them out of their comfort zone. And one of the things about driving a stick is it's easy to stall your car. Uh, anyone that's ever driven a stick, no, I actually did it like a year and a half ago. I was driving somewhere with one of my kid's car. And I pulled up and just stalled out. And I was like, dude, I've been doing this for a long time. How did I just stall the car? And what you have to understand if you're going to drive a stick shift is this is just part of the game. And so one of the things you have to do as a parent teaching a kid how to drive a stick shift is get them over the fact that they're going to stall out at some point and convince them they don't have to panic when it happens because it's going to happen. And so you have to drive enough times that whenever you stall out and you stop moving forward, you don't freak out, but you reset, turn the car on and keep moving forward, right? Um, now, you know, there's, there's so many funny stories I could tell about my kids and I'm, Jake's in here, so I'm going to get on him in a minute. But I remember when Jake, when I was teaching, Jake, where are you? He's in here somewhere. When I was teaching Jake how to drive his stick, uh, at the very first, there was a time we went at night, we were right, kind of like he'd driven one time before. And I went to pick him up from cross-country practice, and the entire team's out there, like 20-something people. And as we pull up, I think, 
you know, I asked him, I was like, all right, dude, you want to go or you want me to go? And he's like, I got it. And I'm like, yeah, this is going to be fun. And so he sits in the car and he gets in there and he turns it on and, you know, it, it starts just fine. He starts to pull forward, but it's, you've got to come out at kind of a weird angle in this parking lot. So as he starts to turn out, I watch and he turns and all of a sudden it stalls. And when it stalls, the power steering turns off. And so he just kind of drifts forward a little bit. Then he gets it stopped under control. And now I'm like, oh, now he's got to reverse. So now he's trying to put, you know, he turns it back on, tries to put it in reverse, starts to back up, stalls again. Now all the students are starting to look, right? And so now as he's trying to back up, he gets it and starts to pull forward. And he can't quite make that turn again. So he stops and stalls a third time. Uh, finally, I roll down the window and I look at everyone's like, y'all cheer him on, like help him out a little bit. And so everyone's like, you got it, Jake. And so Jake finally pulls out and he gets out of the parking lot and we're just laughing and I just know that's really good for him because the fact is he's going to stall out other times and if you stall out in the wrong time and you panic and you don't keep moving forward you get yourself in trouble and so one of the things when you're teaching someone to drive a stick is you've got to stall enough times under someone else's guidance that you learn how to move forward without freaking out life's like that sometimes too by the way um, sometimes in life, we experience setbacks, and um, sometimes in life, the, the setbacks are even bigger, and the consequences and stakes are even higher. And so we're going to talk today about how do we face, how do we move forward when we face setbacks in life? And, and we live in a world where setbacks are a common occurrence, and so we, we work, and we try to push forward and do all the right things, and something knocks us down, and we get up, and we keep going forward, and we get knocked back at different times, and so we have to learn to keep somehow moving forward in the face of the setbacks that come our way, and so what we're going to look at is in, the, uh, the, in Philippians 1 is really the story of Apostle Paul, and Paul was living in one of those moments that were a setback. And as he experienced this setback, uh, you see about it in verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me. And, and so Paul's going to tell about the, the setback that he's experiencing and that he's walking through. And what had happened to him was he got arrested in a wrongful arrest and he was imprisoned. And for a guy whose life was uh, built around telling people about Jesus and starting churches in all kinds of different places, to be in chains in one location where he was unable to do any of those things was a definite setback for him. And something that continued to push against him. And in Rome, uh, they, called Rome they called Caesar the Savior and Lord. But Paul was running around telling everyone else that Jesus was Savior and Lord. And I don't know what you know about emperors, but they tend to not like it when, someone, they, when people call someone else king. And so they took Paul and they threw him in prison. And, and so Paul is beginning to try to figure this thing out. Now, the thing about Paul is he doesn't panic in the middle of this setback. And one of the reasons is he'd had other setbacks before. He'd experienced hardship before. And in the midst of all those other hardships he had experienced, he had learned to trust the Lord. And he'd grown confident. In fact, Paul talks about it this way. In 2 Corinthians 11, he says, uh, he just talks about some of the other experiences he's, he's had in life. He says, look, there were far more imprisonments with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received the hand of the Jews, uh, from the hand of the Jews, 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. That's bad. That's just, that seems like a bad luck, right? I mean, I'm like, I wouldn't want to get on a boat with this dude. Uh, he says, uh, one night and a whole day, I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. I was in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from others, dangers in the city, uh, dangers 
in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship through many sleepless nights, and hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure. And apart from these other things, like that wasn't enough, there's the daily pressure of me on me of the anxiety for all the churches. So I just want to note as a pastor that Paul kind of looks and goes, like all that stuff was hard, but you ought to see what it's like to deal with the church. <laughs> you know, like all the beatings and everything else. And uh, I actually, this is a tough dude, right? Like I did the math, uh, five times 39 or 40 beatings minus one is 195 times he was beaten uh, with leather. Then he says, if that wasn't enough, I got beaten with sticks. And then they just stoned me. That's like the holy trifecta of torture, right? Like eventually you got to get to iron, but I guess he hadn't gotten there quite yet. Uh, but this is, a, this is a rough situation. He says, I'm attacked from people outside the faith, attacked from people inside the faith. I think the real question when I hear that is, dude, why didn't you quit? Like, what kept you going in the midst of all the, set, the setbacks and all the things you, you went through? And, and here's the thing I know for us is not many of us are, be, are, are fearful of being thrown in prison by an emperor. Not many of us are scared about preaching the gospel so much in a context that's going to get us tossed into chains or locked up in chains and tossed into prison. But the reality of our lives is we all face setbacks, don't we? There's, there's different kinds of setbacks that we all face in life. And for us, it, you know, it may be jobs that don't work out. It may be friendships that fail. Uh, it may be uh, health problems that won't go away, financial investments that crash and burn, family issues that never seem to get resolved. But each one of us, as we walk through life, is going to face setbacks. We're going we're gonna to have hardships. We're going to have difficulties, things that we have to, to walk through. And if you don't learn to deal with your setbacks, it's easy for them to begin to crowd out your outlook and change your perspective on life. And doubt begins to creep in where faith used to exist. And discouragement begins to take over as we drift away from the Lord because of the midst of our circumstances. If you've ever been in a difficult setback, it's easy to panic at times, isn't it? It's easy to look and get so fixated on the here and now and the present and the moment that you're in that you begin to panic and you don't, you don't trust that you're going to be able to advance and move forward. And so I want us to look today at Paul and look what we can learn from him about how to deal with personal setbacks and, and not allowing your circumstances to drive the joy of your life. As, uh, the reality is if you're going to look for joy in the midst of difficulty, you're going to need to process your circumstances, but you need to plan around your ultimate purpose. Uh, you, don't wanna, you don't wanna allow your circumstances to determine your joy because man, that's just gonna be a bumpy ride full of all kinds of ups and downs. That ultimately your joy needs to be connected to something bigger than that. And so uh, this is one of those passages from 2000 years ago that I think at first glance can be a little bit hard to wrap your brain around, but I think there's some important stuff God wants to teach us through Paul's life that really does relate to us. And so let's look at Paul's circumstances, but not just that, let's look at his response to those circumstances so that we find a better way to live. In those days, prisoners typically, uh, in, in 2,000 years ago, tip, uh, prisoners typically were, were locked in chains and they were kept in a confined space, but they, the, they weren't given three square meals a day by the, by the prison guards. Their family and friends had to come and provide those things for them. And so the scenario of what's happening in the middle of this book is uh, the, this book called Philippians. There's a town called Philippi. And this book was a letter written by Paul to the people of Philippi, the people in this town who were Christians. And the reason he was writing a letter was they had taken 
taken up a collection in their church and they'd sent it to Paul in order to take care of his physical needs. And so as he's there in prison, they sent money forward and sent it with a guy named Epaphroditus. Uh, you can name your kids out if you want to. Uh, you know, I'm going to guess he's going to end up with a nickname if that's, what, if that's what you do. But they sent it with a guy named Epaphroditus and Epaphroditus delivered it to Paul. Paul receives this gift that's going to provide food and the things that he needs in life. And in the middle of that scenario, Paul then writes this letter and he's writing it back to the people that sent financial support to take care of him. And that's the scenario. And so Paul is actually following a typical form letter uh, here. And so in verses one and two, you get this greeting. In verses three through, uh, through 11, you get this kind of Thanksgiving period, which is typical what they did in letters there. And then there's a phrase in verse 12 that turns it. And he says, now I want to give you an update on my personal situation. And so in verse 12, you see, what has happened to me? Now you see this phrase, he says, now brothers, I want to tell you, uh, I want you to know what has happened to me. Well, in that point, that's a, that's a typical phrase that they put in a letter at that point where the letter transitions. It says, I want to give you an update on all the stuff going on in my life, all the personal stuff. But it's interesting because what Paul says doesn't seem to tell you a whole lot about what's happening with Paul. And I think it's, it's, it's enlightening the way Paul approaches it. He doesn't just say, I want to tell you about my circumstances. He actually steps back and says, I want to tell you about my perspective on my circumstances. I want to take it to another level. I want to step back and show you the big picture and help you see not just the stuff that's going on in my life, but how God's given me a divine perspective on the stuff that's going on in my life. And so he begins to explain that. I think it's enlightening for us that he doesn't just, his life is so wrapped up in God that he doesn't just see the thing right in front of his face. But he's, he's able to see what God says about the things that are going on in the midst of his life. So in verse 12, you notice what he says. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What's happened to me has actually been a good thing. And the, the word that he uses when he says, really, what he's saying is, I know when you see it, all you see is that I'm in prison. But I want you to know there's something that's even, even bigger than that. And so really what has happened is God's at work even in the midst of my circumstances, even in stuff where everything looks bad, God is somehow still going to bring about some kind of good. And so ironically, Paul says that even though I'm stuck in prison, the gospel's broken out. The, the gospel's flourished. There's my mission, God's mission is still thr thriving, even in the midst of Paul's personal difficulty. And so Paul goes on to say his, his imprisonment's having a positive effect. And he says really in two different groups. One is it has, it's having a positive effect on unbelievers, because unbelievers are seeing Paul's faith and they're drawn to the faith that he has. And it's having a, a significant impact in believers because they're seeing Paul's witness and Paul's faith and they're actually encouraged and emboldened and, and have confidence because of what they're seeing in Paul. But you notice what is it that's making everything be known outside of, um, outside of prison? Paul says it's my, that my imprisonment is what? For Christ. That ultimately his imprisonment is not just in vain, but there's some bigger purpose that his, that his life is serving. And so when he says my imprisonment or my chains are for Christ, there, there's a, an interesting thing if you go back and look at the actual original, the way Paul wrote it, is he, you know, most likely we would have thought he would have said, well, I'm in prison for the sake of Christ. But Paul doesn't say that. He actually says, I'm in chains in Christ, or I'm in chains for Christ. That it's, it's my, my connection to Christ, my, my uh, solidarity with Christ, my being underneath his care, that's the reason why I'm in chains. And so people perceive what, what, when they look at Paul that he's not there as a political prisoner. 
He's not there as a criminal, but he's there because of his relationship to Christ and his relationship to Jesus. And so for Paul, what he says is, I'm, I'm one who believes in Jesus, and I'm one who's a follower of Jesus. And Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And so Paul sees this as part of his discipleship, part of his following Jesus, part of his connection with Jesus is that, that it has this result of this is where it's led him. And so in the middle of those circumstances, he sees it, that it's a setback, but he also sees that there's a greater purpose to what's going on. God's doing something in Paul. God's doing something in those that are connected to Paul, and God's doing something in those who are watching Paul from the outside. And so there's a benefit that's there. And at first glance, Paul says, this looks like a setback. And I can tell you for a guy who's an evangelist and a guy who's a church planner, uh, to be locked in chains, unable to do any of that work, for Paul certainly felt like a setback. There was certainly a hardship and something he was enduring. And yet he says, God, what, what they meant for evil, God's using for good. And word had gotten out that Paul was not just some ordinary guy in prison. Paul may be in chains, but God's word is never going to be imprisoned. And so notice what Paul says in verse 13. He says, it's become known throughout the entire imperial guard and to all the rest. Who's the imperial guard? So in that day, whenever you were in prison in Rome, there was the, the imperial guard were the Roman guards. And Paul uh, may have even been personally chained to a guard. Now, how'd you like to be chained if you're a guard to an evangelist? You know, and so this guy's stuck there with him. And so Paul's like, hey, you want to talk? You know, like, I, I, this is what I do for a living, dude. Like, I got this. And so he begins to talk. And uh, some people think, because in that day, in certain locations, they change guards every four hours. And so every four hours, Paul gets chained to a new guy. And he's like, so, hey, you want to talk? You know, and the next guy. And so eventually, you know, he probably gets out. It probably goes something like that, like, dude, you got the guy, Paul? <laughs> Good luck. You know, like they're probably warning them about what's going on, but it begins to ripple through them. And somehow in the midst of all the guards, they begin to know about this guy named Paul and they begin to hear about his faith and they begin to see that, man, this guy's crazy. He's in prison. He's in the situation. But as we saw before, he, he was probably full of joy. He didn't shut up. He continued to say like, hey, I know you think Caesar's king, but Jesus is really king. And began to walk them through that uh, and begin to, begin to, to kind of encourage them and then it says, and to all the rest, meaning it wasn't just to those in that little circle, but this kind of rippled out and became something that, that testified to God's goodness even outside of that initial circle. And so I think to Paul, there's something kind of funny in here. He's like, hey, you locked me up in here and God's word broke out everywhere. Like, like you thought you were going to shut it down and it actually blew it up. Uh, and so God is not going to be contained and he's going to continue to do something even in the midst of difficult circumstances. And then it says, Paul goes on, he says, but not just the unbelievers that were there that were starting to come to faith, but all the believers in Rome and all the people that were probably afraid. Because imagine if you're a Christian in Rome and you hear Paul gets thrown in jail. You're like, man, am I next? Like, what's going to happen? Are they going to come and get all of us? Are we all going to end up there? And what it says is because of the way Paul has, has lived and the, what he's done, all the people that are watching him and watching the way he walks through this setback, they're actually, they, they actually grow in confidence. And it says in verse 14, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord because of my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And don't you love that, that they're watching the way Paul handles a setback. And because of that, they actually increase in confidence and become more bold and more courageous uh, because of Paul's example. Now, the, in, this, in this sense, uh, I think these guys see themselves as filling a gap. And Paul can't be out here to speak the gospel, so we better step up. 
we get a chance to do what Paul was doing. We get to be the ones that tell other people about King Jesus. And so they begin to live that out and in their increase in confidence. Now, friends, have you ever experienced something like that? Not, not going to prison because you preach the gospel, but that you've got goals and purposes and things in mind and you experience a setback. And, and somehow in the middle of that setback, you think this is all going to work against me, that somehow my circumstances are, are going to just be a discouragement. They're just going to be something that causes difficulty and pain in my life. But then you get further down the road and you look back and you see somehow God turned those things around for good. Somehow God used that difficult circumstances to bring about something positive in life. So God somehow used that hardship and birthed something new in me. Have you ever had that experience? Nan and I uh, have a marriage book. We like to go on marriage retreats and we kind of started this practice years ago and we haven't done it perfectly. There's years we haven't made it because of life circumstances and other stuff, but it's been such a good thing for us to get away, to go off to a bed and breakfast, to one, just enjoy a long weekend together, but at some point to pull the notebook out and just to look at it and we write down what were our highs this year? What were our lows this year? What, were, what are our goals for this year? What are the, the things we want to pray for this year? But one of the things we do as well is we go back and look at all the years previous. And we're getting older. These years are starting to stack up. We've been married a long time now. And so we get to, we've gotten to see God's carrying us through a lot of circumstances. And here's what's amazing. We go back and look at the things we wrote in years one or two or three or four of marriage. And, and we just write these things and it's like, man, our hearts were so wrapped around some of these things. And these things that felt so traumatic and they felt like these mountains that we're never going to get over. And we're writing out these prayer requests and we're writing about them. And now we look back and we're like, dude, that wasn't that big a deal, right? And we look back at some of them and we go, and that felt like it was going to, like our lives were ending and everything was shut down and we were never going to get through it. And now we look back and go, oh, God had that the whole time. God knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew how he was going to carry us through that circumstance and bring us to something else. And, and so what happens is we look back on the way God's been faithful to us through all the hardships and setbacks that we experienced before is we actually increases our confidence that God's going to be faithful in the setbacks and hardships we face right now and in the setbacks and hardships we face in the future. And so in that scenario, I think it's important for us to understand that there are going to be setbacks in life. And the more that you learn to walk through the setbacks and trust the Lord to work, not just around those circumstances, but even through those circumstances to bring about something beautiful and good, it increases your faith and your confidence in Him, but it also increases other people's faith as they watch and see how God's worked in your own life. I think that's part of what we can learn from Paul here. So in the next set of verses, Paul mentions the third group of people, preachers. So you know it's going to be trouble, right? And so he goes, he says, in response to Paul's, Paul's imprisonment, that, not, that one of the groups that's actually been emboldened or encouraged to, uh, to preach the gospel more is this group of preachers. And he says, some of them are going to preach in verse 15, some indeed preach from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel, but the other group proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Now, you don't need me to tell you that there's preachers that get into trouble in the world. 
If you read the newspaper, if you read your Twitter feed, you're probably aware of that. We're not sure exactly who this group is that Paul's referring to. In fact, as I did my research this week and went and studied all my commentaries, they all disagreed. And so you're looking, they're all like, well, maybe it's this group. This guy's like, I think it's this group. You're like, I think it's this other group over here. We're not exactly sure which group Paul was directly referring to here. Maybe it was just personal rivalry and jealousy that, man, Paul's getting some attention and we want a little attention. And so we're going we're gonna to kind of work for for a little bit of that because Ben Paul's in chains, so maybe we can encroach on his territory uh, as uh, preachers sometimes do. Uh, but maybe they were preaching a gospel that was mixed with cultural preferences and practices. And so per perhaps there was more of a doctrinal theological thing and perhaps they were sort of pressing their, uh, their cultural preferences down upon people and mixing that together with the gospel and that was frustrating, Paul. And so we don't really know, but it says that as they were doing this, they were sort of, tightening Paul. They thought they were going to tighten the, the chains around Paul's wrists and restrict him and kind of bring pain to him even more. And yet Paul says, but I rejoice in this. Christ was still preached. So probably they were brothers because it says they were, if you, one guy put a chart together. I'm just going to share this because I think it's helpful as you look at Paul's friends and Paul's rivals. Uh, there's two different responses. Both of them were preaching Christ. So they both were probably preaching a true message. Uh, but one was preaching out of goodwill. One was preaching out of rivalry. One was preaching in love. One was preaching out of selfishness. One was preaching knowing the truth about Paul. One was supposing something that was false. One was, uh, was preaching that he was here for the gospel, that Paul was in prison for the gospel. Others were trying to cause Paul a little bit of trouble. And one's preaching in truth, one was preaching in falsehood. So in the end, it isn't as important what or who this group is, but you see the differences of why they were preaching and what was driving the things they were doing. And Paul really doesn't focus on that. He focuses on a bigger thing. You notice down in verse 18 what Paul says. He says that, uh, that ultimately, what's his perspective on what was going on? He says, what I really care about is that people hear about Jesus. That's the thing that's most important. That all these secondary things can, they, they can come and go and they're gonna, they're gonna rise and fall. But at the end of the day, if Jesus is preached in that, I can rejoice. If people are, are finding hope in Christ, if people that, that are living tough lives, if people that are beaten up by their sin and failure, if people that are walking in shame, if people that, that, that blow it and, and don't know how to get back up again, if they're hearing about Jesus and the hope that is in him, then I can rejoice in that. Because good stuff's going to come from that. And so in verse 18, he says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in, even in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Friends, Paul's joy is not that he's in prison. He's not like, woohoo, I'm in jail. Like, there's, there's not some kind of really weird, uh, weird idea that, that you're supposed to be happy about bad things that happen or difficulties that face or when wrong is done to you. There's no kind of a, a theological morbidity to, to Paul that just says, hey, if bad stuff happened, you're supposed to go, yes. That's not the case. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, but when stuff happens that, that you don't anticipate, when there's a setback, when you're, you're running hard after something and it doesn't go your way, you don't have to panic. You can step back and see from a divine perspective that God can even use bad situations for good. And so he's not happy about the bad things that are happen, happening, but he's able to step back and find hope and find joy even in the midst of difficulty. I love what one guy says. He says, Paul's joy lies with his perspective, his ability to pirouette both for its own beauty and for a place in the whole dance. Uh, 
I'm going to go on just a minute, but let me just, let me just tease that out for a second. He's just saying that life is a dance and it's going on and there's, uh, there, there, there's, there's high points in the music and there's low points in the music and you're going to have to, you're going to, have to wander through it like this. He says, Paul takes a diff- difficult situation and he just pirouettes. Uh, one, because it sets a beautiful example for everyone else. Uh, but two, uh, because he understands that even in the midst of that difficult turn in a, in a tough time, that it's gonna somehow fit into the whole and God's about something bigger. And sometimes in the, middle of, in the middle of the dance of life, you have an about face and a turn that you didn't expect. And Paul says, but somehow God's gonna make that work out into the whole thing to, to produce something beautiful and good. Um, and I love that image. He says, Paul had a long, desired, uh, a long desire to go to Rome so that he could share with Roman believers uh, about the gospel. He didn't anticipate that these were the circumstances that would eventually get him there. But now he's there and he says, and God somehow is preaching the gospel to these people. This is what I wanted. This meets the ultimate end that I desired, even though the circumstances that brought me here were not what I, what I really anticipated. So what really matters? He says, only that Christ is, is proclaimed and that um, I rejoice. So friends, as you think about that, what can we learn from Paul? I think as we step back and think, uh, part of what we see in Paul is that it, God doesn't just work in spite of our circumstances but sometimes he works through them. See, a lot of times it's easy for us to, to put our heads down and think, man, I've blown it. I've gotten myself in this situation. I don't know how I'm ever gonna get around, around this difficult place. And yet, sometimes it's even through that difficult place that God says, let me show you how I can use that. Let me increase your faith, even through the thing you're going through. And let me, let me continue to work and be about my business. And so for Paul, he understands that he was placed in his own circumstances, but he's under the care of God, and God will use him to bring about his purposes. God's agenda is, is a bigger agenda. And so his agenda is not just our comfort, but his agenda is our ultimate good. And he wants to bring about something, um, something good in us. Friends, it's so easy to live with a sense of entitlement, isn't it? I mean, we all hear about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and we think that somehow life is supposed to be about us uh, basically achieving any of our wants and desires and any of those things that, uh, that, that we hunger for ought to come our way. And yet Paul steps back and he says there's an ultimate purpose that's living for God and, and learning to, to enjoy God and learning to see what God is up to in the world. And so Paul steps back and says our joy has to be attached to something stronger than our circumstances. Um, another guy says of Paul, he says that uh, Paul has learned by the grace of God to see everything from the divine perspective. This is not wishfulness, but deep conviction that God worked out his own intentions through the death and resurrection of Jesus and by his spirit, he's carrying them out in the world through the church and, through, and therefore through both himself and through others. So what Paul's ultimately saying is that we have to step back in the middle of our circumstances and say, man, there's, some, there's a bigger dance that's at play. And I see the little part that I'm playing in the dance, but there's multiple people on the stage and there's someone who's directing these steps and there's someone who's gonna work all, these, all of this together for good. And so even when I face a setback, I'm gonna trust that God's gonna turn that into a pirouette and make it into something that, that brings about something beautiful. And so for Paul, what he knows is that ultimately God wins. Always. Not immediately, but ultimately. Ultimately, God's going to bring about something that's good. And we see it most clearly in the cross of Jesus, don't we? See, when Jesus went to the cross, what did the disciples do? They panicked. 
They said, this is a setback. They said, you're supposed to be the king. You're supposed to rule. You're supposed to, you're supposed to come in and bring freedom and joy to everyone. And, and so when Jesus is arrested and when Jesus is beaten and when Jesus is hung on a cross and when Jesus breathes his last, all they saw was the circumstances that looked like a defeat. But what was God doing? God was going to work through those circumstances to bring about victory. And so three days later, there's a resurrection. And through his resurrection, our salvation was accomplished. God was about something good. And so then Jesus departed and he went, but he said, I'm coming back. And so when he left, the disciples were like, oh no, where are you going? What are we going to do? And he says, just wait, I'm going to send you a helper. And he sent the spirit to walk with us until Jesus returns. And then he's going to make all things new. And then in the end, God always wins. Not immediately, but ultimately. And so whatever circumstances you're facing right now, whatever setback in life that you've walked through, you can look to Christ. You look to his example and you know that God's not through with you yet. That God can bring victory out of defeat. That God can, uh, that God can bring light out of what appears to be darkness. And through those circumstances can do something good in you. And that's good news for you and for me. Part of, that means that your life is not defined by your circumstances. It means that your success is not determined by your comfort. Your identity is not created by your choices. Your hope is not limited by your surroundings. Your joy is not stolen by your opponents. And your purpose is not prevented, prevented by the present. God can bring hope to the circumstances you're in even right now. And so that's good news for us. Friends, you ought to process your circumstances. Like don't, don't ignore the stuff going on in your life. Don't be weird about bad stuff that happens. Don't call it good. Bad stuff happens and hardship occurs and you have setbacks in life and it doesn't do good to, to simply try to, to, to live in that moment, but trust that God can do something good in the middle of it. And so, so process your circumstances, but plan around your purpose. That's what Paul does. Paul says, look, I'm telling you about my circumstance. I'm in prison, but let me tell you about my perspective on my circumstances. God is taking the dark thing in my life and he's using it to bring about incredible good in our world. And so you can trust him and you can walk in him. Um, everything that we do has to be seen in light of our ultimate purpose. And so as we talk about being a disciple or follower of Jesus, when we undergo setbacks and we follow his example, it increases our confidence and our faith in the Lord. And so that the gospel advances in us. And not only that, as people look and see the way God is faithful to us, we become a good example to them. And it advances the gospel in their lives as well. Paul next week is going to say, now I'm in prison, but I think I'm going to get out because I know that God's not going to take me to heaven right now. He's going to leave me here. Why? He says, he's going to leave me here for your progress and your joy in the faith. Meaning that the, 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 the gospel is going to advance by other people trusting him, but the gospel is also going to advance by you learning to trust the Lord, even in the midst of the place where you live. And so for your progress and your joy, uh, we'll talk about that next week. And we'll unpack kind of how that works out in our lives. I want to close with this verse and just kind of application for us as we think about why, one, why church is important, but two, uh, why, what Paul is, is kind of doing for the sake of this church in, in, in Philippi. Philippians 3.17, Paul, so a couple chapters later, Paul's going to write this. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And can I just say this? One of the reasons why we need church is because we need someone to help us walk through the setbacks of life. We need someone to set an example for us. 
And so what Paul says is, uh, me, I'm one who's been saved by Jesus. And so I looked to Jesus. I looked at the way Jesus lived and the way Jesus walked. And when Jesus experienced a setback called the cross, he didn't give up hope. But he said, but, but he knew that one day God was going to save him. So God eventually brought about victory through the midst of the cross. And so Paul looks at Jesus and says, well, Jesus commanded me to follow him. So as I'm going to follow him, I'm going to trust that the Lord's going to bring light to my dark places. I'm going to trust that the Lord can bring victory out of the places that feel like defeat to me. And so Paul follows Jesus. And then Paul says, as I follow Jesus, you in turn follow me. And so one of the things you, the pictures you ought to have about church is a group of people that's lined up behind Jesus. And there's Jesus, and then there's Paul, and then there's other people that are following after him, and then you're following after them. And then there ought to be someone behind you that's following after you. And, and in that, we all get pulled forward, and that's part of the mission of the church. And so Paul says, look at me, and look at the example I'm giving you in prison in the midst of my setback, and look where I found hope and joy, and follow after me. So friends, I don't know where you are in your faith or in your journey, but I know that God wants to give you hope in the midst of your circumstances. I know that God wants to bring victory out of the defeats of our lives. And he may not do it immediately, but he will do it ultimately. And we know that to be true. And in the midst of that, we have an opportunity to be an example to others. Students, you have an, you have an opportunity to be an example to the people that are sitting next to you and the people that are, that are in your classes and the people that are on your teams. And, and, and one of the things that church ought to do, just like when I was working with Jake about learning how to drive a stick shift, I, I wanted to be there by his side because I wanted him to understand that when, when he stalls that thing out, you don't have to panic. Just take a breath, turn it back on, move on forward, keep advancing. That's what we have to do with our faith. And God puts us here side by side with one another to be that voice of encouragement to one another. That when, when you look around and someone's experienced a setback, you go next to them and say, don't panic, it's okay. Just, just keep moving forward, trust the Lord. And you can move forward. And so Paul, in the middle of this, says, I'm going through a hard time, but God's still advancing his purpose. Uh, friends, as we, as we walk together in the church, can we just be an encouraging group? Can we be a church that, that like Paul just says, and even when I experience a setback, I've, I find joy. And again, I will rejoice. And in the midst of my joy, I'm going to set an example for you uh, of how you can find joy even in the midst of your circumstances. Not, not to be tossed about by your circumstances, but to find a greater purpose to attach yourself to that allows you to find joy and have a divine perspective or God's perspective even in the midst of hardship. And then encourage one another to stay the course, to keep advancing, not to shrink back in the middle of a setback, but to trust the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray for... Everyone here, Father, for the hardships that, they, that some may be facing, for the setbacks that some are literally walking through in this moment, for the hardships and the difficulties that seem insurmountable. Father, I pray that you by your spirit would comfort them even right now. Father, would they just know your love for them, your care for them. Father, would you increase their confidence that you will be faithful to carry them through the circumstances of today, that you will stand by them, by their side, and strengthen them, even through hardship. And Father, would you help us to, to believe that you will bring good, even out, of, even out of tough times. Father, would you be an example to one another, an encouragement to one another. Father, that, um, that, your, that your gospel might advance 
in our lives and in our city. For your glory and for the good of all. Father, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.